Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. First, a quick word from our sponsors. At Jigsaw PSHE, we believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental lesson-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. A mindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. So in our podcast today, uh, we're going to be looking at dealing with exam stress and anxiety. I'm uh, thrilled to have uh, Dr. Carl Harris here, who's a consultant clinical psychologist. And he's going to share strategies and ideas for how to support pupils when dealing with um, anxiety and exam stress. Dr. Carl has gained a doctorate in clinical psychology in 1996, worked within primary care, child and adolescent mental health and systemic evidence-based practice with families and community. He's clinical lead for early intervention with Birmingham Children's Hospital and NHS Foundation Trust previously for about two years and has a special interest in community psychology which looks at the people, systems and services around the person as crucial to their development. So I'm absolutely thrilled you're here and joining us today. Mm. Thanks very much. Thank you. So in terms of anxiety, it's a, a normal sort of if unpleasant part of life and it can affect us all in different ways and at different times. Whereas stress is something that will come and go as the sort of external factor causing it. So whether that could be school, relationship, money problems... And it comes and goes, whereas anxiety is something that can persist whether or not the cause is clear to the sufferer. It seems very common at the moment that we've got high levels of anxiety and in Mm. in the primary and secondary schools that I'm working with that is highly prevalent and highly prevalent amongst staff as well. Mm. Um, So it's quite a sort of an anxious place to be. And one of the most common behavioural symptoms that we, we know of um, around sort of anxiety is avoidance. So it, we'll, we'll take a look at that um, shortly. But I just wondered if you could just help the school sort of be able to pick up some of the symptoms that might be unnoticed by teachers. So how might teachers be able to be a bit more aware about spotting the signs of anxiety? Um, what of those might be within sort of a classroom situation? Mm. Yeah, so... Some of the symptoms of anxiety will probably show up, particularly for younger children, probably show up more at home than at school because it's often things like um, disturbance at night, you know, so struggling with sleeping or maybe even starting to... um, Because when we're stressed, we lose some of the skills we've developed, so wetting the bed is quite a common thing. Um, Parents may well have noticed 
that a child's behaviour has changed. Mm. But a teacher could still um, notice things like a child becoming um, more irritable or being prone to tearfulness or outbursts in a way that isn't typical mm-hmm. for that young person. So when, when children get, get older, you might notice that they're struggling to concentrate in class or if perhaps there's something that has a social element to it, they might be avoidant of it. Okay. Um, or if there's perhaps some new activities mm-hmm. that you're introducing, again, they may shy away from something. And that may be a thing they generally do, perhaps because they, they don't have a, a great deal of confidence. But it may be that at this point in time, there's something happening which makes them less confident Mm. And like you were saying at the beginning, stress and anxiety are related. Um, stress can build up at different times. If there's life events or particular challenges that are clustering all at the same time for a young person. And then that can sometimes produce feelings of anxiety mm. where people are, are worrying unnecessarily about mm. things that, that, uh, that confront them. Do you think it, it crops up as a sort of a manifestation in terms of a physical uh, problem? Can that sometimes mm. happen? So can children be saying, oh, I've got a regular headache mm. or stomach ache? Does yeah, that happen? No, that's, that's, yeah, that's a great example, actually. So, yes, when we, when we experience stress, our body starts to react in particular ways. So we talk about this uh, fight, flight or freeze mechanism. When we feel under threat, even though it's not an actual physical threat, the sort of thing that we might have encountered many hundreds or thousands of years ago when we lived in much more primitive environments our body still reacts in that way Mm. so uh, it's not unusual for us to feel uh, things like butterflies in the stomach our palms might go sweaty or we might get shaky legs we might feel sick as if our body wants to get rid of the contents of our stomach Mm. because those are the sorts of things that our bodies are programmed to do when we're under stress so so you're absolutely right, there is a physical component of stress mm. and anxiety. Mm. But the other point you're making, I think, is about how we can then start to express our anxiety in the form of headaches or stomach cramps mm. in a way that where they're becoming more regular, for instance, than we might expect Yeah. from a healthy young person. Yeah, that's interesting. I've, you know, having spoken to young people... Um, who have had, you know, anxiety at a young age, it, it, there's mm. that pattern, you mm. know, so regularly having a stomach ache just before break, mm. you know, because there's that so social anxiety yeah. and things like that. So it's spotting the, the patterns mm. that are related to some of the physical symptoms, which are also helpful, give you some mm. information, doesn't it, mm. as a school. What do you think schools could do to, to help? So once mm. they've kind of noticed that this young person isn't OK, mm. what do you think schools can mm. do? Yeah. It is always a bit anxiety-provoking when you're meeting a young person who's starting to talk to you about something that's affecting them, because you may be the only person that they've told. Mm. And I think inevitably, like you say, we are affected by anxiety as well. So I guess the first thing that's worth remembering is just to keep calm yourself when somebody's explaining something about how they're feeling to you. Because although you may not know what you're supposed to do or say, it's just important to sit and listen. Mm. And if you don't know what, what to do or say afterwards, you can just acknowledge that and say, I don't know what we should do next, but how about I go away and find out and we right. talk again? Do you know, so, so I guess just making sure that that first contact is as helpful as it can be, given the constraints you might be under mm. um, and that the young person themselves might be under, this, this is probably a big step for them. Yeah. 
So making sure you can listen mm. is a really good start. Mm. Then after that, I guess we talk about um, things like psychoeducation, which is just this way of explaining to somebody what their feelings are about, what's making them feel this way. Mm. And that's something that can be done as a school. So at the moment we're thinking about what if a young person comes to you, what would you do? Mm-hmm. So just in terms of that individual, normalising their experience, so perhaps yeah, going through some information about how anxiety affects us and helping them then to calm down at that point. Mm. Because one of the things we know is it's really difficult to learn or take on new information if we're feeling stressed. Yeah. So if we get to a point where the young person is feeling calmer, then they can take on some of the information that, that we're sharing. And then we can start to think about what are we going to do about it. Mm-hmm. Because as you said at the beginning, avoidance is one of the things that we, as all of us, <laughs> all of us use avoidance all the time. So no, it, not me, <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, apparently. No. Apparently some of us do. <laughs> no, but, um, no, I do. But yeah, so uh, what, one of the things that we're trying to do is to support young people appropriately so that they can avoid using avoidance. Because avoidance just means that we don't confront the thing that is making us feel anxious. Mm. And while that might be the right thing to do in the short term with some things, in the long run, what we want to do is to encourage young people to find ways of of managing the stress and approaching the thing Mm. that is causing them the concern. Mm. So it may not mean doing the whole thing, Mm -hmm. but it might mean taking a step towards being able to do the thing that is causing them the anxiety. Do you think that young people always know what the cause is or do you think that they just sort of experience the, the feeling and the mm. kind of all this sort mm. of elements that come along with it but don't actually quite know mm. what to do with it or do you think mm. that's part and parcel of the listening? Do you think that's where that would come out? Mm. I, think, I think you're right with what you say there about um, it's part and parcel of the listening because particularly for younger children it's quite a lot to expect for them to have got an understanding of why they're having these feelings mm. and they, they may have very few ideas about it at all they may just have a tummy ache and be and be feeling sad yeah do you know but they won't necessarily have made a connection between between the two things so an adult listening to them and being able to just put even those most basic kind of ideas together in a meaningful way can mm-hmm. be really helpful mm. for a young person so yeah, so I think a lot of time they haven't made those connections. With older children, quite a lot of time they have. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, there's still for those children it can often or young people it can be a bigger challenge because they know they're very aware of how they're perceived by their peers mm. and they may not feel comfortable um, in having people know that these experiences are a thing for them. Mm. They may feel much more inclined to keep it to themselves. And now a short break to hear from our sponsors. CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper Chronologies for pupils, or school-wide reports, can be generated quickly. The Service Point support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk 
where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. So if you were, um, so just thinking about the mental health uh, lead role in school, we know mm. that the DfE's approach is around it being strategic and preventative, mm. but there is an overseeing element of it, of kind mm. of knowing which young people might be vulnerable and how we're supporting them. So if a teacher came to a mental health lead in, in school and sort of said, I'm really worried about this young mm. person, they're displaying, you know, change in behaviour, mm. they've become very withdrawn, you're starting to notice... Mm that they're sort of uh, perhaps not looking after themselves mm. quite the way they might have done and they've come to the mental health lead. What advice mm. do you think that mental health lead should give mm. to the teacher? The introduction you just gave to that is very helpful in terms of thinking about this mental health lead as having this oversight role as well as being a kind of go-to person for some support or advice around, around a particular child's situation. Because sounds like the mental health lead might well be a person who's best placed then to hold information about specific young children or young sorry young people in the school mm. so I, I imagine that uh, a mental health lead in that situation will hear what that person has to say and will be able to put that information together with information they may have from other contexts about about that young person and they themselves will have a link to their local CAMS team. Mm. So the local child and adolescent mental health team, it might be perhaps through their primary mental health worker service, for instance. So it's important, I guess, the way you've described it there about there's a chain that makes sure that everybody in that system feels supported so that even the lead themselves knows that when they're putting this information together and if they are building up a picture of concern, there is somebody else they can then discuss that with and think about should they make a referral to mm-hmm. another agency mm-hmm. or just pass on the information, for instance, maybe to could be to safeguarding or to um, perhaps whoever it is who's managing the waiting list at, at CAMS if that child is already on their waiting list, mm. for instance. So I guess that's, the, that's just to think about the framework side of it. Then in terms of, say, the advice... We often have this term in mental health services around supervision, mm. which is what we call the parallel process. Mm-hmm. So in the parallel process, what we try and do is make sure that we respond to people in the way that we would like them to respond to the people that they were with. Okay. So in a positive sense, if that teacher comes to the, the lead and presents their information and the lead listens and thinks with them about what's happening and then thinks about acknowledging the anxieties the person may have about the situation. What do they think would move us on, would help us move towards where the young person needs to get to or where we need to get to as a a school with this young person? By doing that, they're modelling the approach for the teacher. So the teacher can go away from that conversation, again, feeling confident that that's the approach that they can take themselves and then they pass that confidence back down the line to the young person so that when they ask the young person understanding that you do feel anxious about this and acknowledging that what sort of steps could we take towards addressing the situation so for that person to be able then to respond in the same sort of way to the young person that's that's an important and positive use of the parallel process model where it can work the other way is if the person who comes to the lead for the school feels overwhelmed and panicked mm. and what they get from the lead is a panicky response back mm. and perhaps a controlling directive response mm-hmm. 
if that isn't coming from the right perspective, that can result in a, a directive response going back down the line. So I guess it's just important that mm. everybody has a sense of where they are in the system and, and feel supported in doing what they're doing. So I guess that's, that's kind of drawing those two things together, the, the kind of overall structure, mm. but also the way that the responses at the different levels in the structure can support everybody but most importantly, the young person who's at the, what you might call the receiving end yeah. of that service. So it's kind of talking in process terms, yeah. isn't it? That, no, that's really, yeah. really interesting and really helpful. I don't think I've ever looked at like that before, and I don't imagine the schools have, that, that that's sort of, you know, the way that you, you're almost modelling mm. um, the, the sort of process of confidence building, mm. what are we going to do, how are we going to work this through together, and then mm. to, the confidence to go and try it and do mm. it and then that follows down the line to the young person. Mm, That's really, exactly. really interesting because I think the challenge for schools is that just the, the speed, the intensity of the school day and the limited time we have to, to you know, share information or to, to talk about these things is, you know, is that challenge. Mm. And, and actually, if mm. we know that ultimately being able to slow down mm. and have a conversation like that will ultimately help the young person mm. as well as the teacher, mm. then we are creating that culture as mm. well as supporting the young person mm. yeah that's really really yeah. interesting so that's that's what you'd want isn't it mm. that is what you'd want um and i guess in the middle of that there are some techniques or methods that might well be part of that process so when we were talking about psychoeducation, just reminding ourselves so what what is happening here what does the theory tell us mm. about what's happening that's a helpful starting point because it allows us to put the information we're getting into uh, a structure. Mm -hmm. So when a young person, for instance, describes their feelings of anxiety and panic, knowing that there's a way of understanding that and discussing that with the young person in that way is helpful. Mm -hmm. So if we start to just ask some questions about, oh, so when does that happen? How bad does it get? What sort of things do you think? What does it make you do? So just asking those questions which form part of this thing we sometimes discuss called the hot cross bun, mm -hmm. like the way that our our thoughts, our emotional feelings, our physical feelings, like the sensations in our body, mm -hmm. um, and the way our behaviours interact. Mm -hmm. So just thinking about things in that sort of way can help us to put a bit of a framework onto something. And that usually helps us to just feel a bit calmer. Right. And then when we feel a little bit calmer, we can start to think about Okay, so how do we normally calm ourselves down? Um, and there might be some strategies that a young person uses. It might be some breathing exercises or a distraction ex exercise. Uh, it might be that they count to ten. It might be that they have an image of themselves in a favourite place where they feel safe mm -hmm. that they can just use to help them control their breathing, for instance. And then we can start to think about, okay, so what would be something we could do that would move us closer to where we need to get to with this what what would be the first step in building our confidence mm. around this particular issue mm. so that in the middle of that process where you know everybody's trying to model appropriate behaviors for each other the use of some fairly clear structures like the hot cross blood model some calming exercises and then some thinking about what the next steps might be mm. should help people feel contained mm. when they're trying to manage this sort of situation. And that's quite a, 
you know, a three-step mm. approach is quite easy to adopt, mm. she says. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well and, and then, because I mean, you're right, because those are three steps there, aren't they? And you can expand those. Mm. Um, if you feel comfortable with that, you can use things like problem-solving techniques, mm. which, again, that's a six-step model, do you know? Yeah. But um, you can do that as part of your final step in the three. Mm. And an important fourth step would be a review step mm-hmm. so that you have that conversation. The young person will hopefully feel that they've been heard and that you've come up with a shared plan between you. And they've got a better understanding of what's happening. They've rehearsed their relaxation technique. Mm. But they know that you've said, OK, let's talk again, whether it's tomorrow mm. or after break or whether it's in a week's time, whichever feels like the right sort of gap between between the meetings, that they're not just them being left and they've got to get on with it by themselves, but there's going to be a review. Because at the review, you can see, is this working? Mm. Um, and it's important for that to happen. Mm. Because if it's not working, that means we need to try something else. Or yeah, And it's sort of quite boundary then as well, mm. isn't it? It's like, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to see you mm. at another point... So they know, you know, yeah. what's happening and they're not panicking, going away, panicking, going, what happens if this doesn't work? Mm. And, you know, who am I going to speak to? And yeah. so it's really important that you've got that, that one person that mm. you, can, you mm. can do that with. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Do you think that works well uh, when um, young people are going through particular... I mean, I imagine it works well when they're going through particular... Um, difficulties around anxiety mm. is that a technique that you can also use do you think around exam time or leading mm. up to exam time or mm. what are your thoughts mm. on that well exams have a very sort of special kind of aspect to them don't they they're they're kind of one-off events but they happen to everybody at the same time as mm. well so normally when we have these life events they come at random times don't they but that's these, so true yeah yeah the exams are sort of predictable and they're social experiences, aren't they? And as well as our individual responses, we have the social response. So individually, we can do all sorts of things, can't we? If we if we live in a household where our parents are looking out for us, they can keep an eye on us, they can make sure we're going to bed on time, that we're getting out and doing something in the fresh air, mm-hmm. that we're eating well. And they can keep a close eye on our expectations of ourselves and they could just help us to make sure that we've, we've got that in perspective. Mm. So they can play a really important role. Not all children in that situation are they where they've yeah. got parents looking out for them. So mm. it might be teachers who are having to monitor young people's behaviours and their progress leading up to exam time. Then, of course, teachers also have the power to shape some of the experiences that young people have around exams. So perhaps discussing things openly with a class around what reasonable expectations are, how to look after themselves, what to do if they are starting to feel overwhelmed by the anxiety. And one of the most obvious things to do is to come and speak to the teacher. Mm. So there are definitely things that teachers can do for individuals, but also by setting a tone for the class mm. and that can come from a teacher but it's probably even better if it comes from the head or it's a whole school mm. kind of approach mm-hmm. to exams where we're all trying to make sure everybody does their best but we're also looking after each other and making sure that this is a positive and as far as possible growth experience for everybody. Mm. 
that whole school approach and the culture again it's, it seems like that's a consistency around anxiety mm. that it isn't sometimes we see that the child as that individual mm. having the anxiety mm. issue but as you've described we can see that how the relationships the culture the systems mm. are all interconnected mm. and can have quite an impact mm. on children improving children and young people's mm. anxiety we, we tend to be seeing um, an increase of of students and and, and uh, so thinking students as in secondary but also primary age children who don't tend to pop up on any of our uh, radars in mm. school so they're retaining mm. well so their results are good they're coming to school on time their behavior is great but we're finding that they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves mm. academically mm. so sometimes that's external sometimes that's mm. through parental pressure mm. sometimes that's pressure that they're putting on mm. themselves to do well and we we see this in sats uh, we see this for mm. GCSEs. Um, what advice do you have for schools mm. where, you know, you've got the group of, of young mm. people that seem to be, you know, and mm. then by the time we get to the exam, they're, they're kind of like a pressure cooker mm. because it's such mm. a pressure for mm. them. Do you mm. have any advice for schools about mm. how to help mm. those children before mm. crisis, I guess, mm. is the question. Well, yeah, and, and you just said at the end, haven't you, those two words before crisis. So, so it's back to that thing, I guess, about we know exams are coming, don't we? Mm. We know... Um, if we have been lucky enough to identify that group of young people yeah. and you describe them so beautifully like they're, they're not presenting concerns are they they're quiet, they're probably getting on with their work and in a school setting that means they're quite likely to slip under, under the radar completely aren't they so it would be fantastic if we had schools were, which were able to look beyond the immediate presentation of the young person just talked to Ampli earlier on about what anxiety can look like mm. and here we are looking at children where the anxiety is so well contained that we haven't picked up on it no. very easily and we're asking schools to go beyond thinking about the kids who are perhaps identifiable as anxious to think about those who we may not identify them but they're presumably at risk around exam time. Yeah. So I guess leading into exams I'm not sure how far ahead schools are able to think about these things but if it was possible to think about this at the time of, say, mock exams, you mm-hmm. might already identify through that experience some children who might be more prone to putting pressure on themselves. And that might be a good trigger point to start thinking about, OK, these people look like they coped, but perhaps there are ways of helping them cope even better. I've got to be honest, it's not a thing that I've really thought about as a clinical psychologist mm. because usually the children who come our way are the ones who are presenting with the behavioural difficulties mm. that have been picked up through school. But through this conversation, I'm just thinking about, oh, yeah, so exams are a social experience. They happen in a school context. They're quite predictable. I guess this is with the real value, isn't it, of educational people mm-hmm. and kind of mental health people having a conversation yeah. about yeah. how that could develop, how we could approach that sort of situation. I guess is there something about putting it into context mm. so they're not sort of catastrophizing maybe mm. about you know that mm. if they don't pass or don't get exactly what they wanted in the perfect way that they imagine mm. it to be that life will still carry mm. on mm. they will still you know do well yeah and that we you know we can put it into a context like yeah. that for them can't we absolutely mm. absolutely yeah yeah. That, yeah that makes perfect sense yes so I guess accounts, again, like you say, though, it's anticipating, isn't it? So thinking ahead to what's going to happen around that time, 
what kind of narratives could we put into a school environment, mm. which just, I guess, helps people understand the range of paths to success, for instance. That's mm. a really good point, isn't it? Yeah, the narrative and the, that, yeah, presenting different range mm. of what success looks like. Mm. It isn't always the kind of the absolute mm. perfection, mm. whilst that's, mm. you know... Mm important it's not important enough for it mm. to affect our well-being I mm. guess it's that balance isn't mm. it mm-hmm. and with perfection I guess like when you describe that that population of children there are often really important reasons for that drive for perfection aren't there so sometimes children come from families where perfection is an expectation mm. and for some children that perfection is a reaction to a situation that perhaps is more chaotic mm-hmm. do you know where they feel They've got very little control over right. particular aspects of their lives, but school is a place where they can mm. have some degree of control, and for some of them that may mean that it has to be a, a perfect performance. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. That's a really good point. I'm just thinking then about... Um, it's, it, I find it fascinating um, sometimes, like you said, where it's kind of... It's, a, it's predictable exams, isn't it? Mm. We know they're happening, and in fact... You know, we know for five years mm. when a child joins a school in year seven that they're happening. We know in primary when we're thinking mm. about SATs that they're happening. Um, but invariably what I find is some schools will sort of say, you know, we need to put a mindfulness lesson in year mm. 11 and kind mm. of help them at that mm. point. Mm. Some of those techniques can be taught early on, can't they? So the, yeah. the sort of the calming down processes mm. could mm. really just be part and parcel of good well-being mm. and could be taught from year seven or could be taught mm. from sort of year four yeah. onwards yeah. and to be part and parcel of sort of children's repertoire of just dealing mm. with you mm. know their thoughts mm. and, and their feelings and their Absolutely. behaviors mm. yeah 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 because we know it's coming yeah, yeah. i know that's <laughs> the thing I'm just like, we've known for five years <laughs> yeah mm. brilliant the thing that i would comment on from I guess from the community psychology part of it it kind of builds on the point about the young people whose lives may be maybe really quite difficult to manage you know they may be in a family where they might be young carer there might be um, pressures on the family where mum and dad have separated or perhaps they're both working shift patterns and often in quite unpredictable work environments And that all creates stress. Mm. And I guess from the point of view of development, stress can be a benefit when we think about things like resilience. Mm -hmm. As long as the structures around us are supporting us well enough for us to thrive, stress can allow us to respond in a way that enables us to demonstrate our autonomy, our ability to problem solve. And and that's all great. Mm -hmm. But we know that for a lot of children, they actually are just getting stress. Mm. They're not contained in a helpful way Mm. and they're not experiencing um, that sort of bedrock of support which allows them to thrive in challenging environments so quite often school is just a massive source of stability for those young people so when you think about their lives in a wider context um, they might be having to get the brothers and sisters up they may be finding it difficult to do homework because the house is crowded and there's not space Mm. they may be having to drop younger children at other schools before Mm. they get into school so we know that for those children when they come into school if they're late for instance 
we might need to have quite a different approach mm. to how we manage that lateness. Mm. In order for that young person to get the most out of their school experience, they may, may well require us to think carefully about how the school welcomes them in. Mm. If they come from a group which is perhaps a minority group, whether that's for reasons of race or class or sexuality, it's important that those young people feel included mm. so that there are images of people like them mm -hmm. around the school. So even at the most basic level, I guess we're talking about belonging mm -hmm. and we're talking about a feeling of safety. Mm. And I guess just thinking about the school's place in a young person's development, mm -hmm. particularly in some of our really marginalised communities, it plays a really crucial role. Mm. Well, I want yeah. to thank you very much for um, you know, coming and sharing your expertise. Uh, I know it's going to be very helpful for the school, so thank you very much. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Check out the resources section on the website www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts and episode 5 resources. The resources contain links to free information for schools, top tips for managing a mental health disclosure using Dr Carl's advice and references to further reading and resources, particularly around cognitive behaviour therapy. Next week's episode is an interview with three amazing students from a boys' school. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.